0: Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. You learn a lot more from your failures in a certain kind of way because those are so painful that they are, um, I don't want to say inscribed, they're embedded, they're, you know, they're- um, So much, yes. They're, uh, they, they become part of you. And, and if you go in the wrong direction, you can become incapacitated by them. That mm-hmm. you can't do either. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed. Fix the brains of top leaders to
1: learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 89. This episode is sponsored by the Impactful Business Leadership Mastermind. The mastermind brings together hungry entrepreneurs and business owners who want to scale their business, get their toughest problems solved, learn best practices, and build their networks. Learn more at impactfulcoaching.com forward slash BLM. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Scott Shea. Scott has been chairman of Signature Bank since its formation. Since its IPO in 2004, Signature Bank is among the top performing US banks based on stock market performance and total return, and is also the leading bank serving the cryptocurrency industry here in the US. Scott is the author of Conspiracy U, a case study. Scott is also the founder and chair of the investment committee of the Ale Fund, a social impact fund focusing on investing in tangible industries in Israel. He was also a founding director of Super Derivatives, an Israeli startup, an Israeli startup company that was sold in 2014 to ICE. Scott, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: It's a pleasure to be here, Naftali. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, My pleasure. And as I was sharing with you in the pre-recording conversation, we have a connection. The first school I was employed as, I believe, your alma mater, uh, a high school in Chicago. And so yep. uh, even though we're both on o- other sides of the Hudson River as we're recording this, uh, we do trace back uh, each in our own way back to the Midwest which is a great place to be in the middle of January, I'm sure. Anyway, so I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I did mention your book. So I'm an author too. I love to hear about people's books. I listen to them all the time and read when I can. Tell me about your book and tell us what inspired you to write it. Well, first of all, thank you. It's my third book. And wow.
0: um, and in addition to my business career, I really take writing very seriously. And we could get into that later. But I didn't actually intend to write this book, but I found I had to write this book. It's it basically what Conspiracy U does is explains how conspiracy theories about Jews are masquerading as scholarship, both on the far right and on the far left. Mm. And I take Northwestern University, which is my alma mater. Where I have two degrees from Northwestern, and I love the school and a great experience. And I show how how Professors who should know much better are, are, are espousing as though it's scholarship, devious, mendacious conspiracy theories about Jews. And I show that at the core, how really the far left and the far right are saying the same things about Jews. Mm. And it's, it's a real problem um, because what happens on campus doesn't stay on campus. And so people are, students are being inculcated to believe terribly devilish things about Jews from professors and books published by Duke University Press, Stanford University Press that are just warmed over blood libels, conspiracy theories um, that should have been discredited and disowned a long time ago. And the fact that this happening under an economic imprimatur really a serious problem, not only for the Jews, but we're the canary in the coal mines for societal disintegration.
1: Mm. Wow. You know, in my, in my previous life as an educator, one of the things that I, that I did, and I don't want to go too deep here because ultimately we are going to move to a, a leadership focus, but this is leadership too, right? This is leadership of ideas. This is leadership in terms of being able to identify something that is problematic and call attention to it. But coming back to your actual point for a moment, I was a teacher of Jewish history, and anyone who is familiar with the very, very textured, layered, and extensive history of the Jewish people knows that um, these issues are, are longstanding, and coming from the right and the left simultaneously, you would think that they, they have very, very different agendas. Uh, but I remember, for example, in the years leading up to World War II during the Holocaust, so there were, you know, the far right with the, with, with the Germans, the far left, with the Soviets, you know, there, there were the same messaging coming from different ends. And obviously they were now talking about academia. So thank you for bringing that issue to the table and thank you for continuing to put your ideas out there in print. And I just want to, you know, say to my, to my listeners here that, you know, writing is not an easy thing. Some people just don't like to write or feel that they're really great writers, but a lot of us have a message. And I think Scott, the fact that you, had a message and you're a busy person, you're running a very successful bank. And yet you found, I should say, you didn't find, you made the t- right. you didn't find sense. the time, you made them, right. we're gonna talk about productivity a little bit later, but to make the time for something that is important is one of those those things in life that if we don't do it, we come back and we have these regrets, right? Because we say to ourselves, I really could have, I really should have, and I didn't. And I actually have this problem right now. And the irony is I'm working on a productivity book And yet I haven't gotten it fully done. Even though the content is there, I want it to be a little bit more readable, a little bit more presentable, so to speak, to the broader market, not just blog posts, which is the current formation. And it's a matter of making the time and having the daily disciplines necessary to push forward with the things that you consider to be most important. And those things might align with your day-to-day work, but they may not. You know, Scott's obviously, you're involved in, in finance and banking and crypto and all sorts of really cool and neat things that are really setting the trend of the market and kind of like setting the new standard, if you will. And simultaneously you have this other issue, which doesn't seem to align at all with your core work, your core professional work. And yet you're very passionate about it to the point where you've written a book. And I'm sure you've talked about it many times on podcasts and other places. And so maybe we could stay there, Scott, for a minute. And kind of, I want to, I guess, understand this a little bit more from your perspective. Clearly, if you're Jewish, and you're uh, observant and sort of it's part of your DNA, issues relating to Israel, the Jewish people, all of that is going to be kind of like part and parcel of your daily daily existence. But even if you don't necessarily have that level of connection, talk to leaders, please, for a moment, who have these side passions, let's say, these other areas of interest that may not go hand in hand with what they do every single day, and talk to them about, talk to us, I should say, about how to find, make the time and figure out the best way to both pursue your daily work and simultaneously make a bigger impact in areas that are, that are near and dear to your heart?
0: Well, that's, that's a great question. So first of all, I think that people have to be whole people. And in all candor, just to go back, it's, it, the, to talk about the leadership journey. I mean, I was part of something called literally the leadership circle at Northwestern. So these were all people and are all people who believe about this, who believe in Northwestern. And the truth of the matter is that a fair amount of leadership, of real leadership, is being willing to disagree. Mm. Because whether it's in the business world, the philanthropic world, and look, we know this from uh, from, uh, many, many different traditions, that disagreement actually allows for things to get better. When we're all thinking alike, we're not thinking, and that's the same thing in banking or other arenas. I mean, banks were—if you go pre-two thousand seventeen—all banks essentially gave the back of the hand to the cryptocurrency world because, and they were all thinking alike. This is just a little fad. It's some some teenagers in a basement. Nobody did any real work on thinking about what are the opportunities, and uh, you know some. Not to mention names, but some famous banking CEOs really said it. The whole thing was a was a, was a, was a joke, a scam um, and, and and the like. And something that we did, uh, and I was involved with uh, deeply at Signature was to say, well, what are the opportunities for blockchain? What will it mean for payment uh, for payments in the future? So the ability and the desire and willingness, everybody's got the ability to disagree we're all human beings but the 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 willingness to st- stand up and disagree whether it be in the philanthropic world or in the business world is important now not to disagree just for the sake of disagreement that's you know um uh, that's that doesn't make any sense um uh, uh you know just to just to start to get worked up about stuff um when it doesn't have meaning, but when something is important, when you feel like it speaks to your whole person, then it's important to actually take action. Because if you don't, you're essentially betraying
1: that whole person part of you. Yeah, there was a lot in your answer there that I'd like to unpack a little bit of it. Um, The take action part, I'd like to stay on first, right? You know, I think Mel Robbins has uh, spent a lot of time talking about the five second rule and and uh, just the idea of, 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 converting things into action quickly before it just moves on and your brain kind of negates the idea and, and, and takes you to the next place. So when you have something, when you have that inspiration, when you, you know, go to a, a motivational speech or something like this, that really spurs you to a better place, do something with it and do something with it right away and determine if there's more to do, if it ultimately feeds your passion, ultimately feeds your sense of purpose and that's a critical piece. And you did talk about disagreement. I will just mention, Scott, since we've been in kind of like the Jewish conversation for a little bit, in, in, in Jewish tradition, uh, the two famous uh, Talmudic schools of Hillel and Shammai, uh, who existed around towards the end of the, the second temple period, uh, many, many disagreements listed in the Talmud, and the House of Hillel is typically the one that we, um, let's say, decide with. And what the, the Talmud says, that the reason for that, one of the reasons. Is because they always listened to the other position. They heard it. They tried to incorporate it, and then simultaneously, if they disagreed with it, then they stated their opinion afterwards. So well, it's a matter. Know, yeah, go ahead.
0: I was going to say, you know, it's interesting. I I'm definitely uh, um, uh, I always think about the Hillel and Shammai, but it. But one of my mottos actually comes from Shammai.
1: Yeah, which is
0: that? say little, do much. Okay. And but I think that's it, important yeah, in this day both. and age when. Right when we live in an era of, you know, virtue signaling and everybody sort of saying how good they are in social media where people are talking much and doing little. Yeah. So I think, and that's great that Shamai's, the disagreeers sayings were preserved. And, yes. and for me, it's been one of my inspirations of my life.
1: That's right. So you have to know how to disagree. You have to also know how to get your opinion out there. And I think you hit on something really important, Scott, if you're a good listener. People feel valued and ultimately they will be more inclined to listen to you because they feel you listen to them. Even if you wind up still disagreeing, they'll be much more inclined. So you can set the tone and you could do this by the way, by leading up to, right. It's not just CEO level down. It goes both ways. And I think that that's a really powerful piece as it relates to conversation, but I want to shift to something because, you know, for a person like me and for anyone who's listening comes from um, let's say more of an education driven background, meaning to say valuing degrees and higher degrees. I've got two master's degrees and a doctorate. I've got rabbinic ordination. <laughs> you name it. Um, I was all about, you know the value of school. I'm not going to dive into school right now per se, but one of the things that I hear all the time is that school doesn't really prepare you for world in the fin- in, in fi- finances, investment, uh, the kinds of things that really help people build wealth and the kind of lifestyles that they want for themselves. So I'm just curious to know, Scott, what are some typical mistakes that you encounter that investors make, business owners in particular? And how could they avoid these mistakes so that they could do better with their money? So
0: um, I, can't, I can't give this saying to, to Shamai, but I give it to <laughs> but this is something I say. So it's far less articulate and far more wordy.
1: <laughs> okay. But I ahead. think
0: that the thing that I say frequently, and I say this in, in working and with, and, and, and it, when I actually am asked to give business advice, um, which is I think generally people overestimate what they can accomplish in the short run and underestimate what they can accomplish in the long run if they keep doing the right things. So, that is an important lesson because people tend, even when they're doing the right thing, to think, to not necessarily stick with it long enough. Um, by the way, that's certainly true of edu- my personal experience in education, um, uh, for, at least for my personal witnessing, is that, is that too many educational projects are started with a bang and then um, they don't have the persistence. But I'll give you an example from Signature Bank. Okay. Which is, um, when we opened we, we were a startup. So I founded the bank with two partners and, um, we, um, opened the bank and we had a party and, uh, I got up after we opened the first event after we opened. And I said, uh, in five years, we're going to be a $5 billion bank. And in 10 years, we're going to be a $10 billion bank. And, I just just can't. I just said that extemporaneously. So fast forward five years, we were a three point eight billion dollar bank. Not bad, you know, okay. like really, really good. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, uh, do we need to? Are we are we doing what we should be doing? Should we be making changes? You know, I was discussing this, and my partners were discussing it: Joe DePaulo and John Tamberlane, who were my partners and dear friends. And we decided we were doing the right things and gaining traction. And we wouldn't change anything at that point. We did change things subsequently. We're not changing anything. Fast forward to the next five years, by our 10th anniversary, we were a $14.8 billion bank. We'd actually grown $11 billion in five years, more than I thought we could do in the whole 10-year timeframe. And then, of course, fast forward to today, to our 20th year, where we became a $100 billion bank. Mm -hmm. We kept with Basic tenets that were correct. It took a while. It took longer. I would have never thought we would necessarily get to the size that we've gotten to. So, but because I too underestimated what we could do in the long term if we just keep doing the right thing. Right. And in the short run, and I think most people do this, I do this in other aspects in my life. You know, you can try to change something like that in your life and it'll have a short-term impact. But if you just keep taking smaller steps that are consistent and um, and sustainable steps, and I mean that at all in a 360-degree uh, context, then um, you can do a lot more than you might think. You yeah. Surprise yourself.
1: I've heard that a lot, actually. I think Tony Robbins talks about it. He puts it one year to five years. I think that's the context he typically talks, but it's the same idea. And it also speaks to compounding, right? So you weren't talking about investments or interests or things of the sort, but if you continue to do the same things consistently, if they're the right things and you're adding fuel to it, you're getting better at it, the market better knows you. So then all of a sudden, even though you're not fundamentally different, there are more factors at play that help you. That really, yeah. that really stick with it. But let's, let's drill it down a little bit more to a specific, let's call it financial type of decision that you see that business owners might make that other, I know you talked about, you know, maybe making change too quickly, not sticking with it, but anything in terms of investment, anything in terms of what they actually do with their money, their resources, et cetera, that, that you've seen, it just doesn't serve them. And if they just change something about their approach would, would much better position them for success.
0: Well, look in the investing world, uh, Albert Einstein said something, which um, I'll paraphrase uh, the greatest miracle in the universe, secret or power in the universe is compound interest. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, the thing that people do in the investing area is they shift around too much. I mean I've definitely seen that. You should really spend a ton of time thinking about what your strategy is, what your risk what your risk capacity is, mm-hmm. and then go and stick with that. And what I've found is that people tend and they, they do tend to, 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 to shift too much. So what I tell what I advise people, This is a general matter. Is look for ninety-five percent of what you plan on investing. Come up with a plan and stick with it. Don't change it, or if you do change it, you know there could be some major, major um, change in your life, major change in situations, major family the the situations. Of course, saying never is a is a mistake, but unless there's something major. Not because the stock market goes up 20% or down 20%. Don't change it. But keep 5% of your money as uh, play money. Not, not necessarily that you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna use it to play, but you're going to use it where you can follow your your whims, your intuition, uh, a maybe a fad, maybe a momentum. So you need that outlet. People need that outlet, and I found if they, Keep a specific amount, you know, again, 5%, something that's not enough to to sort of break their financial plan and go crazy, go wild, Um, follow your whims and have fun. Um, And with the rest, just open the financial, open the statement every month and watch it grow. You need to sometimes make adjustments, don't get me wrong, but nothing dramatic, um, and a good financial advisor will be able to set you up with that kind of plan. And you're not going to earn more than, um, you know, uh, 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 uh you know, Warren Buffett, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to be a person, you're not going to make a compound like that, but you can do, you can do pretty well. There's enough financial products out there that you can do pretty, pretty well.
1: Yeah. So tell us about the best investment you've made.
0: Well, um, personally was uh you know being involved in starting signature bank and holding on and believing in it and uh that's you know personally the best financial investment i ever made um you know on a personal level uh clearly families you know by far the best thing that i did because then there's the other thing i you know you you um I think people underestimate this too, and 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 you mentioned you moved to Chicago from New York. I mean, the most important decision you're going to make, most people make in their lives, is who they're going to marry. Yeah. Way beyond where they're going to live, way beyond what job they're going to do, and 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 that impact who their partner is going to be, who their life partner is going to be, is, you know, sort of by far the most uh, important, influential decision that impacts upon people's lives
1: without Uh, question, without question. And and they're with you through, through thick and thin. We could probably spend a lot of time on that, Scott, but I'm interested. This is a question that I ask all of my guests and uh, we've talked about a lot of your successes, but I know failures come along with successes, right? Every side you've got yes. On the other side of no, you've got failure on the other side of success. And ultimately we need to be able to hear about people's failures and how they've overcome them if we're gonna be able to deal with our own because there's nobody listening to this that doesn't have their own set of failures and setbacks along the way. So share with us, please, your, the, the failure that comes to mind and how you overcame it, that biggest challenge for you.
0: Well, look, first of all, you're 100% right because you learn a lot more from your failures in a certain kind of way because those are so painful that they are, um, I don't want to say inscribed, they're embedded, they're, you know, they're... Um,
1: so much, yes. They're,
0: uh, they are they become part of you. And, and if you go in the wrong direction, you can become incapacitated by them. That mm-hmm. you can't do either. But you have to try to learn from failures um, because everybody has failures. I mean, Warren Buffett, again, since I mentioned his name, he bought... I I could I could be off in a matter of months, but he bought stock. He bought uh, made major investments in all the airline airlines prior to um, I think in February of twenty twenty or something like that. You know, just mm. before COVID.
1: Mm. And
0: even he he has failures, and he's one of he's probably the, the you know if not the greatest living investor in the United States. He certainly ranks in the top five. So everybody has failures. I've had failures. A couple come to mind, but I'll I'll say I'll mention one because I um, really uh, it can it it continues to resonate with me and it and 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 I think it it uh, it was um, I made so many classic failure I made so many classic mistakes that I just you know if I think about it I just put my head you know hand to my head and. Here's the thing, it came after years ago, I was involved in another bank, um, Bank United of um, Texas, which we, uh, a group that I was involved with bought in a so-called um, 1988 deal, it was a failed thrift and we did a lot of acquisitions and we built this bank and we essentially, then we took a public and we were on the way to having a major exit. It was a 10 times exit. From the first investors, which is great, unbelievable. Um, I don't need to say, you know, fantastic. We were we were thrilled, and along around the same time, I encountered another company that with um, uh, uh, most of the same partners, we made an investment in. Um, uh, uh, I don't know if you want to know the name, but it was a com- it was a company called Trans World Health, and it was. One of the biggest mistakes, it was one of it was. I hope it remains my biggest, um, and I, I pray it may remains my biggest financial mistake. Um, and I had hubris, there were issues, and personally, I and I could say we, but I'm just going to say I thought we could overcome them all. Mm. And there were two, there were a number of signs. Um, across the way products management a whole bunch of different things governmental regulation and each of them um, we thought we had an answer for there were too many mm. it was partially hubris because we'd come off of this great success and I thought you know we really knew what we were doing mm-hmm. and it was in an area outside of where we knew what we were doing mm. so you probably picked up the theme that I've had a, a, a fair amount of background in, in finance and, and in other investments too. But healthcare was clearly something that we, I, I didn't understand well enough. Mm. And then we got into it and got into the mud and we got deeper and deeper and deeper, you know, convinced that, that we could figure out a way to, to turn this around. And it, it, you know, we were good enough that we kept the thing afloat for many years, and and you know, and 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 you know, what is it called? Waiting. Um, you know, we were we were we were waiting, but slowly sinking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, ultimately, it ended up being sold at a substantial loss. But I ended up diverting a huge amount of my attention, um, uh, disproportionate, that I'm sure impacted other investments negatively over time in our funds, in the fund, and. Um, So it was, it was that it was not recognizing early enough that this is just a dog Mm -hmm. and it's time to sell and just get out at whatever price. And even though maybe we got out a little higher than we would have had, we sold it at the low, if you will, it wasn't worth it right? because it had too many collateral ripple effects. And it was ultimately, it was, it was hubris.
1: So I want to ask you one last question, because you've mentioned hubris a few times and some other things that, you know, we don't know each other well. In fact, this is our first conversation, but you definitely strike me as being somebody of authenticity between your religion, your family values, how you've reflected openly and candidly about business success and failure. So I know that a really important area for leaders, it's always been, but I think we've just drawn a lot more attention to it recently is about authenticity, right? Leading from integrity, leading with authenticity. What does that mean to you? And what advice would you give to leaders to be more authentic uh, in how they present themselves to others in their companies and to their clients and the world at large? The first thing
0: is to think about what your heart and your thinking as opposed to what you think social media and you think what outsiders will think. You may have to alter what you do to recognize this complicated megaphone world that we live in, but Mm -hmm. the first voice you listen to should be your internal voice and then pause. And if that conflicts with what you're hearing from the outside, then you need to think about that before you react.
1: (laughs) Well, I feel like you just gave us so much to think about without going too deep into that. But I I, I hear it and you should know, I struggle with that personally. I'm just going to say this before we transition here, Um, because I believe deeply in, you know, a certain way of communicating I'm, I'm much more reserved, although in social media, I'm a little bit more open in part because of the nature of the platform and all of that. But I think it's a dance, you know, for a lot of people to figure out what is your true north and how does that align with the world at large and then make your decisions. But the idea of pausing and actually allowing yourself permission to not necessarily go with the flow and decide if you wanna swim upstream because it's ultimately in your best interests, there's a lot of power in that. So thank you for ending this segment, Scott, with that uh, tremendous thought. I'd like to transition to rapid fire, which quick short answers on a couple of curious and cute questions. (laughs) Your favorite hobby, please. Oh, it's definitely uh reading. Okay. This one you probably will want to unpack, but let's try to keep it tight. The best advice you ever got. You can recover from anything except a bad partner. Mm,
0: love it. What's one thing about you that surprises people? That I uh, played hockey when I was at the Academy.
1: Oh, and nice. I was a, ter-
0: a real, nice. yeah. A very physical. I, there was hockey no hockey team then. when
1: I got there. <laughs> and then finally, a productivity tip, Scott, that helps you to get more done.
0: Uh, I write lists. <laughs> Simple as that. Lists. Um, I, and I write them down. They're not. Okay. I, I, I started on the phone, but I just write down a
1: list. And Love it.
0: I look at it during the day.
1: So how can people connect with you? All the great things you're doing. Learn more about your work. Where would people find you online or elsewhere?
0: ScottShea.com. Uh, I, it, I write there about not only, um, I write there about business, about ethics, um, about all sorts of things. And um, I just you know, write op eds, I post them so people can contact me through scottshay.com.
1: Love it. Okay, last piece, Scott. I hope you've left something in the tank for this one, which is a final life lesson to end our episode.
0: Final. It really is about finding the right partners, both on a personal level. I mean, you've heard me say that a few in a few different contexts, on a personal yeah. level and on a business level. Make sure you really find that right partner because it is tough to recover. You can overcome business issues. You can overcome personal issues. But if the person you're partners with is not simpatico with you, life is going to be much tougher.
1: Love it. Okay, well, Scott, um, I, I know I've been trying to, connect with you for a while. I'm glad we finally got to this point where we had this conversation. It was a really, really special one for me. Thank you for making the time. And uh, I definitely look forward to continuing uh, to deepen our relationship and sharing your pearls of wisdom with my audience. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Natali. It was really my pleasure. Bye-bye now.
0: Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen.